Beginning Transmission 95, Watchmen, Part 1, Issues 1 through 3. Firewonder, who watches the Watchmen? この番組は、ファニーブックスアンドファイアウォーターポッドキャストの今週のエピソードへようこそ。ウィークのバンドレバンドカメックリーダーズスラッシュアマチュアニュース発信と漫画とピアカクテルバーです。オールワイルトライング
Okay. What? what? Adam just sent me his cocktail, and I have the same name of my cocktail, but I'll have to change mine a little bit. I'll change it. Don't no, worry. No, 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 no. Let me change mine. Okay. <laughs> what if you guys have the same one as, as Todd? We'll find out. Does yours involve clove-infused gin? No. Okay, then you don't. Do you know what, Adam? I actually, I know exactly where you got that cocktail, because I was planning on using it for next week, but that's a totally different issue. Oh. <laughs> But that's all good. Uh, so I will come up with a clever name. I'm, hey, I'm Brian. Uh, I'm a sound designer in Southern <laughs> California. Uh, doing a he comes of, up with clever names. Uh, I try to. I'm doing a lot of really cool stuff right now. Oh, Mr. Ford. Oh, How did I not Mr. Ford? I forgot Mr. Ford. Hey. <laughs> Poor gives a lot to say about He Mr. does. He's very talkative. But um, hi, Mr. Pork. Did you just assume it's gender? I think I did a long time ago. <laughs> That was several episodes ago, I assume, Mr. Pork's uh, gender. We always ask for Mr. Pork's opinion. I, don't th- I think Mr. Pork was absent on the last one. I think we were too serious on the last one. There was no Mr. Pork. Yeah. God, we're turning into a morning radio show. Um, so, <laughs> Coming up with DJ and the Flash. Uh, DJ and the Flash, we have thoughts of Mr. Pork. So I'm doing a lot of cool stuff that I can't talk about right now, uh, which is kind of a bummer, but that's the nature of my business. Um, so... Anyway, uh, and yeah, uh, like I said before, doing a podcast with Todd as well uh, from this one, you know, one where we are far more sober, a bit more serious, uh, and are enlightening ourselves. It's a little weird uh, to feel a little bit smarter after doing a podcast rather than this one where we all feel a little drunker and a little dumber, but that's okay. Uh, I can really thank my wife for those added (laughs) IQ points. That is true, yes. Not that the people present here are not awesome and brilliant. I like comics. <laughs> yes. I am so smart. Yes, <laughs> that's true. I'm only doing that podcast to prove that I can read books without pictures. That's that's all there is to it. Beaks. Yeah, but are you yes. doing the audio books? Todd did. I did. <laughs> that's right. We talked about this last time. <laughs> I'm gonna throw him under the bus for that for a while. Uh, oh, I totally deserve it. <laughs> so anyway, so we are here to talk about Watchmen. So uh, for those of you who are listening to a podcast about comic books and are unaware of what Watchmen is, um, I appreciate you listening to us. I'm sorry we're such a bad representation of comic book fans. But yeah, this is the granddaddy of all comics. This is published by DC Comics, uh, written by Alan Moore, illustrated by David Gibbons, and. Unfortunately, I think for this book is, and other people can attest to it or not, is this seems to be one of those books where like new readers are often given this book because it is so good. But the problem is I feel like you have to have at least a little bit more of a background in comics to appreciate what's actually going on and what's actually so good about this book. It's sort of like sitting there saying, hey, you just learned to read. Here's War and Peace. Uh, it's a pretty heavy book, which is why we're divvying it up into four bite-sized portions, which I actually last night when I was reading the three issues that we're doing for this episode, really appreciated that. I don't know how many else feels about it. Yeah, those three issues were quite a lot to unpack. That's true. Yeah, no, it's 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 a deep <laughs> comic. And it's, I, I read it, like, actually, I picked it up and read it before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm one of the four people on Earth who actually liked that movie. Um, actually, I don't mind that movie either, actually. I think it's okay. I, I really enjoy that movie. Yeah. yeah, even though people bitch about the ending, but we'll talk about that when we read the ending. Yes. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, when I first got it, I, I had no clue what I was getting into. And it was reading this book is an experience unlike any other thing you will have reading a graphic novel because it's part biography, it's part history, it's part graphic novel, it's social commentary, it's it's a little bit of everything. And as much as I'm not the biggest fan of Alan Moore, I can definitely say that I'd forgotten how much I liked it until I jumped back in and started reading it. So. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it more like and like I said before, I am going to read it in the bite-sized chunks. I'm not going to read ahead this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm only reading, you know, the the up three to what we're recording. Up to what, what we're recording, yes. So I and let's, let's be honest, my memory of from the last time I read it is not great. So I'm probably going to be surprised by something in this book at some point in time. But what is never a surprise is on this podcast is we always need a drinking game. And now for sports. Listen up, sports fans. Prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game. Remember, it's only a game, and if not one at that. So don't take it too seriously. And above all else, please drink responsibly. For drinking games, who wants to go first? I can go. Okay. This is not the world that we know. So every time there's a little tidbit of information that says, say, Nixon is running for re-election in 84, <laughs> buses are shaped like ovals and instead of rectangles, and just little bits and pieces here that just keep giving us a reminder, this is like us, but just a little bit off and a little bit different. Every time you notice that, take a drink. Yeah, there's a 
I don't think it's spoiled, but there's a mention of uh, thwarting the uh, Kennedy assassination at one point in time as well. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah, okay. Um, well, just to, because you read the first issue while we were waiting here, that carries over into the Doomsday Clock, which is kind of the unofficial slash official sequel to Watchmen. Right. I would say it's the official to everyone but Alan, Alan Moore. Moore. Which we'll uh, discuss all that it, later. Wasn't, <laughs> yes. it, wasn't it like, uh, like, isn't there like Vice President Redford in it or... Oh, is it really? I haven't read it. I, I don't think know. There is. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's it's really good. You know, go Jeff Johns. I mean, talk about the balls of I'm going to do a sequel to Watchmen. Oh, and I'm I'm excited. Uh, like I was telling you earlier, I'm excited for you to read the other two issues because uh, just wait till Batman and Rorschach have a face to face. Ooh, do they collect those in trades? Uh, they will. Only three three of the twelve issues have come out. And they've I'm announced thinking of the, the Watchmen before Watchmen is what I'm thinking of, I think. You're, oh, yeah, yeah, you're thinking did. of before Watchmen. Those are collected in trades, and those were about half good. Half of them were good, and half of them weren't. There were, yeah. like, six different miniseries. Okay. Uh, the comedian one, I thought, looked pretty, but was garbage. Yeah. Mm. And uh, speaking of the Doomsday Clock, uh, today, as we record this, uh, yes. the actual Doomsday Clock that we have in the real world uh, just inched up to two minutes to midnight. Jesus yep. Christ. The closest it's been since, I think, the Cold War? I think it's the closest it's been ever, is what I heard. Thank and you, I'm, Brother Trump. Man, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the... Uh, I'm actually on their page, but it's just a bunch of... So so each week when we record, are we going to do an update on the, the actual Doomsday Clock, too? It generally no. only updated very rarely. So yeah, actually, it's the closest yeah. it's been since the 1950s. Yeah. Oh, so okay. right after World and War II. Well, it had moved up a couple of months ago. And even then, that was the closest it had been since the 50s. But if it just moved up even further, we're, we're fucked. Uh, yeah, in 2017, it dropped yeah. to two and a half minutes. And then... So what is the Doomsday Clock, Adam, for those that don't know? So the Doomsday Clock, it's a bunch of scientists got together, and they've put together the... Basically, it's a clock charting the risks of um, humanity towards leading towards nuclear war or yeah, the, the World like, War Three, The likelihood. Uh, or that kind of stuff. So yeah, in... 2017, they moved it to two and a half minutes to midnight, uh, and then just today, this morning, they moved it another half minute closer. They said just because of the the rhetoric coming from the Trump administration, from Russia, things they're doing, the reaction or the non-reaction to climate change. So that's that's what's been kind of doing it. So lovely. Hmm. Let's just restart drinking games. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, because like we kind of got off track on that a little bit. So, sure. uh, refreshing our drinking games. Todd, do you want to rephrase your No problem. Yeah. For mine, is uh, this world is not the one we know. So every time you see a reference in the books that it seems to be like an alternative history or reality going on and makes reference to that, go ahead and take a drink. Yes, as you probably heard before, because I probably edited around this a lot. Um, uh-huh. Mr. Maya, what is your drinking game rule? Mine's called Nobody Gives a Shit But Me. Okay. And it's basically anytime Rorschach goes to like warn people, hey, I think something's up, and they're like, fuck you, you're crazy. Take a drink. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah. Adam, what is your drinking game called? Uh, it's called The Voices Inside My Head. Uh, it's every time that Rorschach is basically, it's kind of like he's writing in his journal, but it's, he's narrating what's going on around him uh, and kind of referring to things in the third person and just being kind of fucked up and weird. So good, good luck, fuckers. You're a monster. <laughs> What you should do there is called um, Bartles and James. Does that shit even get <laughs> yeah. made anymore? Yeah, I think so. Bartles and James is your Bartles friend. Bartles and James, they, especially if you're a uh, you know a college girl from Florida. But uh, speaking of Florida, As Maya. You are. Uh, uh, yes, of course I am. <laughs> Maya. Uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, my drinking rule is called the Florida rule. It's whenever a character mentions their retirement from superhero work, take a drink. I also, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. I don't know if we're going to keep the same drinking game rules through the entire run, or if we're going to update them and add on to them. We'll see I how think, that goes. Because I, th- I think they can change throughout, throughout the book. But yeah. And I think what will end up happening, too, is I think we will some will stay. The voices in my head could stay through the entire thing. The mm. no one gives a shit by me could probably stay through the entire thing. The Florida rule seems to be something that I noticed more in the first couple of books. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll let everybody decide if they want to keep their previous mm-hmm. rule, add to it, or whatever. So by the end of this, we might have a very long list of drinking game rules for the book of Watchmen. So, and, uh, of all the books we've read, this is one you probably shouldn't <laughs> read. Right. Wrong. Probably true probably true but uh you know maybe it'll help especially especially if you're doing bite-sized little chunks of like three issues at a time 
which is nice. Well, cool. So I guess uh, now's the perfect time to go into votes as to whether or not we feel like you should read it. Vote for Pedro. So I've been asked by the judge to be the form. Vote for Pedro. And I want y'all to know that we's gonna run a fair jury and a clean jury. It's time for a vote because we love you and we don't want to waste your money. We will now vote on whether this week's book is fit for human consumption by you, our dear listener. Along with each vote, our panel will also provide one piece of evidence to support their vote. Vote for Pedro. Do you expect me to talk? Vote for Pedro. Now, who is the bond I expect you to die? There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know. Uh, Maya, what's your vote? Uh, absolutely. Not only is it, uh, you know, one of those books that should be on every comic geek's list to read, where they, sh- where they, you know, should have at least read it once in their life. I think it's just an overall good story. It's beautifully drawn. We'll talk about that a little later too. But, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adam, uh, again, absolutely. You know, jumping back in reminded me how much I like it. But again, with the warning that this is for advanced or more advanced readers, don't just. Mm-hmm. Jump in if you're new to comics, and I know we've got a couple books like that, but this one is the definitive get your feet wet before you jump in the deep end and try to swim because, uh, you, you honestly, if you jump in without knowing, you probably won't like it. So, uh, take that as a word of caution, uh, or maybe you're just a quick learner and you'll you'll get it in one go. But there's a lot here, and definitely read it in bites like we're doing because it's a lot to kind of go through and figure out. I'll test that because I think the first time I read it, I don't think I nearly liked it as much as I've liked it reading it this time around uh mm-hmm. so and my vote obviously yeah, will be because you you've yes. been pretty vocal about not liking it right i don't think i've been vocal about it i just haven't been a huge fan of it like and mm-hmm. but like i think rereading it now i, I think having more of a background comics I, I fell into that trap of like i was new into comics i picked up watchmen thinking okay this will be a good thing to read because everyone talks about it being the classic and i think it's there's certain things you have to understand about superhero trope it jars the system but you have to understand what that system was that it was jarring. And even though comics have changed since this came around, there's still certain tropes that are always there that this, you know, this book tackles. And uh, I guess for me, part of this book is, so I'm totally going off sidetrack, but that's okay. Part of this book is about what happens when, you know, the superheroes retire, what happens when the world doesn't need them anymore, doesn't want them anymore. Uh, you know, what happens after the superhero comics end is kind of what it is. Well, you kind of have to know what the superhero adventures are like to be able to appreciate that. So if you've never read even a you know a single issue of Superman or Spider-Man or whatever, I mean, you can kind of get it from the movies, but there's something about actually having read the individual issues that makes this pay off more, in my opinion. And Todd, what is your vote? It's absolutely yes. What's even interesting here reading these as I'm reading it again, there are things he does in this book that I rarely see in comics. Occasionally, Hickman tries, but... Where Hegwin yeah. comes off as a douche, this guy comes off of, wow, that was really well done. So, yeah, this is also one of the few books where I don't think people hate Alan Moore. You know what I mean? This, is this some is, of the least Alan Moore, Alan Moore books? Some sure. of the least, but at the same time, one of the most Alan Moore, yes. Alan Moore books. I, I think, well, I, I would really be interested to read if there was like a book about the editor's role in this book before. Yeah, and there's been some articles about his fights with DC and how the creation of it and things like that, which is kind of interesting as well, which we'll probably discuss. Does anybody else have any more heads up or warnings for anybody before we let them off to the races to read this book or not read this book or just listen to us ramble? Um, What I will say, yes, we're only reading three issues, but these are 32-page issues and not 22-page issues. (laughs) So even though it's just, oh, you're just reading three issues, it's... 96 pages of comics to be going through and it's it's quite a bit and this is a 12 issue series so it's not small and there is a lot to unpack i actually felt at least as far as this first chunk of three issues i felt pleasantly surprised that it broke down as well as it did into like a little its own independent storyline because i kind of picked like well there's 12 issues there's four weeks we'll do you know three issues a week this little chunk of three breaks down pretty well also there is excerpts from a book at the end of every one of them this is the first time i've actually read them the first time i read the comic i just read the comic portions and didn't read the book portions of it just kind of plowed through it Uh because there were no pictures obviously why would i read it um and so i'm reading those now this time as well and there is interesting information in there todd and i will discuss the story uh earlier today on the phone so 
then the, we will let you take your break and then we will get into dissecting the behemoth of uh, you know the great white whale of comics so we will see you on the flip side if you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now press pause go ahead we'll wait Hey, uh, and welcome back. So we are going to forego the lightning round because, uh, you know, there's just a lot to talk about. And if we got into every single issue, the lightning round would go on for forever and then we'd never get to talk to all sorts of stuff. So uh, briefly summing this up, we start out with the death of the comedian who was a member of the Minutemen, uh, a superhero group somewhat similar to the we'll say Justice League or whatever, uh, classic superhero group. His uh, death has been investigated by one of his fellow superheroes, a character named Rorschach, who uh, thinks that it is uh, foul play in some regards and is starting to go back and talk to some of the other former members of the Minutemen. You start to figure out who some of them are. There's a character named Night Owl. There's a character named the Silk Spectre. Uh, Rorschach is basically like, sort of like doing all of his detective work. Then you uh, also find out that there is a superhuman uh, named Dr. Manhattan who is all blue and naked most of the time. Uh, so welcome to the wonderful world of blue dong physics. And uh, he has <laughs> to go I they spent like half, the, like half the budget of the movie was on the dong physics. That's probably true. They had to design um, it from the ground up. So uh, you, you, <laughs> Dr. Manhattan has the ability to... Uh, uh, I tried to roll through that I can't. You know. It took a second. That was a slow burn. I know. Well, yeah. Back here on Dick Talk. I know, right? Uh, blue dongs are us. Uh, so And the warmest um, color. Find out that Dr. Manhattan has the ability to uh, trans... Uh, not mutate, but... Uh, move people from one uh, space to the other. I'm trying to think. Uh, teleport uh, people or himself or items or all sorts of things. Basically, can control matter. Um, and you also find out that maybe his uh, relationship with his wife isn't so great and she's been sort of talking to the guy who was the night owl as well. She also has... Uh, uh, her. Let's see, what is their name? Is, what's Silk Spectre's real name? Laurie? Is it Laurie? Yeah, Laurie... Uh, yeah, Laurie. Mm-hmm. Just Bizic. Just Yeah. Is it Just so, or Just Bizic? Because she's just yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm bad with names that are. Laurie Jupiter. Laurie Jupiter. Yes. Laurie Jupiter. Anyway, Blue Dong's wife. Uh, <laughs> Laurie. Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Oh, girlfriend. Sorry. She uh, took over her mantle of the Silk Spectre from her mother. Her mother had had a uh, run-in with the comedian where uh, he had attempted to rape her, and uh, that sort of ended up kicking him out of the uh, superhero group kind of thing. So you're learning that this guy, because he died, was not necessarily the greatest dude in the world. And you get some more history onto all these different characters. Yeah, you just keep kind of learning the comedian wasn't great, but also these other superheroes kind of had their own dark pasts in their lives as well. You see the uh, the relationship nearly coming to an end where uh, Dr. Manhattan is multiplying himself so that there can be multiples of him other places so he can work while still trying to satisfy his girlfriend. She gets very upset runs out on him uh he goes into a uh, a news conference uh which he gets very upset when people keep asking him questions because he finds out that he may have been making his ex-girlfriend have cancer so he basically transports everyone outside of the building and they and then he decides you know what screw this i'm going to new mexico where you know he was created and then he is going to mars dr manhattan leaves the planet and suddenly the threat of nuclear war has risen now that dr manhattan is no longer a deterrent that's sort of the gist of the first three issues of this book um there's also novelization of not novelization i guess it's the the biography of what character is he actually he's the original night owl yeah yeah so the original the, the secondary night owl has been hanging out with uh, the Silk Spectre as her relationship is deteriorating with <laughs> I keep on calling Blue Dong but Dr. Manhattan <laughs> um, and then of course uh, so you but you have a biography in there that is telling the old day stories of the original uh, Nightwing Nike, not Nightwing god damn it um, somebody else talk because I'm sounding like an idiot um, well one thing that we've, we forgot to mention was that mm-hmm. we haven't ex- explained where Dr. Manhattan came from yet or how he got his powers or what's but going on yeah, that's that's the next in the book issue. Yet. Yeah, that's, that's the next yeah. issue. So that's coming up. But basically, yeah. what happened was his existence and as he gained the powers, because he can. Spoiler! Yeah, alert, we haven't well, gotten there time. yet. That's next time? That's, that's a spoiler. Time. Yeah, that's the next that's, issue. That's for. We're getting issue. ahead of yourself, man. Not the Cold War. Yeah, but as of this, re- as this of the right first three issues, we do not know where he got his powers. That's an issue four. Spoiler alert, man. So in the next issue, <laughs> you will learn where Dr. Manhattan got his powers from and where he came from. I wasn't saying how he got his powers. I was saying, but never mind. You already said the Russian did. Never mind. 
No. All we said is <laughs> all, we, all we said is is that the American government is using Dr. Manhattan as a deterrent for nuclear war from the Russians, and once he's gone, then all of a sudden the Russians start targeting uh, the United States and Afghanistan, hmm. and they start basically nuclear war is about to break out because suddenly when you have the biggest bomb in the world and it's not here anymore, people you know are no longer listening to you. Is basically the idea. Mm-hmm. So, where do we want to start talking about this? Since there's a lot to unpack here. Well, the comedian's dead. Yes. Is the comedian kind of based on Captain America to a certain extent, like no. an evil version so, of Captain America? No. Okay. So okay. all of these characters, the kind of the the background on Watchmen was they just acquired Charlton Comics, uh, which mm-hmm. is like where Blue Beetle and Captain Adam came from. And Alan Moore pitched the story using a bunch of the Charlton characters, and they wouldn't let him use them. So these are all. Just different versions of those Charlton characters, like Night Owl is Blue Beetle, Dr. Manhattan is Captain Atom, Comedian is based off a character called the Peacemaker. Okay. Uh, Rorschach is based mm. off the Question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silk Spectre is based off a character called Nightshade, and Ozymandias, I had never heard of this character before, is based off a character called Thunderbolt. Okay. So he's basically, he's created his own character based on, on other little known golden age they're golden age comics characters right golden silver age golden silver age okay okay so yeah so comedian's an asshole i yeah. I, I think to, to put it mildly yes like there there is a long laundry list of reasons why the comedian is an absolute asshole and why anyone would have anything to do with him is beyond me to be quite honest with you yeah that's why i'm still around <laughs> you have your moments um <laughs> They do almost everything they possibly can to make you not like the comedian, and it's kind of interesting that uh, Rorschach still is investigating it, because I, 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 at first you think, at least in my reading, I'm thinking, wow, these people are really heartless that they don't give a shit that one of their fellow superheroes is dead, and then they, you keep seeing stories of this fellow superhero, and you keep going, oh, I get it. I see why they don't give a shit. Right, but then you've got Rorschach with his principles going, he was one of us. Like him or not, he was one of us. Well, was he, or was he just more like, hey, people are targeting... I think people I think are hurting the superheroes. Yeah. We need to watch out. It goes to the, yeah. you know, the, you know, no else gives a shit but me rule is that the only reason why he's looking into this is because he he kind of reminds me almost as like this book's like twisted Batman in a sense. He's got this mm-hmm. sort of little grapple hook and he's like mm-hmm. the detective and he's looking into things. Uh, it's like Batman had no morals, kind of like and wasn't rich because the only reason they, it's it's he's only part of this for his own. Uh, that was what we're looking for. Self-preservation. Self-preservation, exactly, mm-hmm. because he's realizing, like, okay, this is happening. This is what's going on. There's no way that the comedian could have been... Because they, they, at the very opening scene, you have these detectives at the the crime scene, and they're piecing everything together, and they're like, oh, maybe it was a, a break-in or this happened, but, like, well, this door is, like, reinforced. You'd have to have a huge guy to break it down or multiple guys. And had a chain on the door, so it was locked from the in- inside. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this guy is a—he's a fighter. I mean, yeah, he may be old, but he's built like a brick, brick shit house. And the window he went flying through to go falling out was reinforced. And they're like, "Oh, maybe he just tripped and fell." And like, there's no way, even someone of his size just tripping and falling. Like he had to have been hurled through this window. And then it was staged to kind of look like a robbery because they stole some money, but there were still valuables there. Mm-hmm. So Rorschach goes to investigate, and that's when he puts two and two together and finds out that this actually was the comedian because at that point in time, no one. I guess knew his alter ego or something like that. That's mm-hmm. what I kind of got from, even though it's kind of obvious, it was like yeah, except for the, go- the right. government. The government did, but like other people did. Uh, and certain even people part of the Watchmen didn't seem to know. <clears throat> it was kind of a surprise. And he's like, no, this is this couldn't have happened by accident. This couldn't have happened by some punks on drugs going in there. There's something going on. And then again, no one gives a shit. So he's not so much doing this to find out why. Because he thinks he's a horrible person too, because he's got his own twisted morality. It's more self-preservation, like, hey, they're going to come after us next, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't. That's what you find out later on through the book. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, where is it, you know, who is watching the Watchmen, and what's going on? Like, is there mm-hmm. some sinister motive that we don't know about yet, or is it just maybe someone's got it out from them? I said, like, he's made tons of enemies. I mean, he killed probably thousands of people in Vietnam. He obviously, when they were patrolling the streets during a riot, was having fun fucking people up so shooting with rubber bullets and tear gas yeah so this guy's not a nice person and obviously made a lot of enemies his whole life so you're kind of on Rorschach's side is like thinking yeah there's something kind of fishy about this but again no one gives a shit Mm-hmm. It's also worth saying this book um it came out in the 80s so we're still at the height of the cold war and everything else when that's being written and i think the uh, biggest line of being a douche is in um issue three where the fall of saigon has occurred and he can't wait to leave because the war is over. And he's like, I'm not sticking around anymore. I'm out of here. 
and you see this pregnant Vietnamese woman and it's like, oh, you can't be leaving me. He's like, sure am. And then she goes, hits him with a glass bottle. And as Dr. Manhattan is just sitting there, he pulls out his pistol and shoots her and kills her in front of her just because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be messed with it. And he's upset that she cut his face. Yeah. He's going to go find a doctor to try to make, you know, make sure he so has a scar. And he's like, I need to go fix my face now. And he's like, who cares that she's dead? And see, what's really interesting about that scene, too, mm-hmm. was that, you know, this is basically Dr. Manhattan is still kind of learning his powers right. at that point in time. And, you know, in the future, well, not the future, but the present time, you know, he's he's making himself be two people so he can be having sex with his girlfriend while still working on things. He's and he teleporting. for that. Yeah. He's teleporting, he's phasing in and out, and he's di- he's discovering new things. He travels to Mars for shits and giggles. But also, at that point in time, when he's at the the comedian's funeral, he's like, well, there's no difference between a dead person and a live person. You still have the same number of atoms. You're just, you know, you're just a different state of being. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see the beginnings of that during that scene in Vietnam was because Manhattan's like, why did you do that? Like, and, and the comedian's like, well, you could have fucking stopped me. You could have made my gun turn into flowers or like made the the bullets just disappear into nothing you let this happen so don't come and talk on me about how you're you know holier than thou and like mm-hmm. what the hell's wrong with you when you are every bit as complicit in this as i am because you very much could have stopped me and you chose not to right it was also interesting if you look at that um dr Mahan is standing through a table with one of his legs and it's like he's not even paying attention of his solid mass or anything right there. So he's there, but while he was thinking about what the comedian was saying, the uh, needs of his body to be a body and have, like, interact with other inanimate ob- animate objects wasn't there at all. Yeah, because... So he just started walking through it, and it just is a bit more of a disassociation with his humanity and who he is and what matters and what does right, not. Right, because you, you think about that, you know, if, you're, if you become a god, basically, because that's kind right. of what he eventually... You, know, you can see with his powers in the present, your, your humanity has to eventually go away because if you're technically not aging and you can do whatever you want and you can recreate atoms into any shape or form or phase or whatever you want, mm-hmm. there comes a point in time when all these people around you who are dying or you've seen atrocities, but to you it doesn't matter because you can see into infinity, Right. you'd have to lose that part of humanity. And it's kind of funny because one of the things I loved, and this is a side topic, uh, mm-hmm. about like a lot of more like classic vampire mythology was that eventually there's there's a, a really fun role-playing game called vampire the masquerade where the vampires are running around making sure no one can see they're there but they're constantly fighting against the beast which is their basis urge to go and just kill and destroy and no matter what happens no matter how long they live eventually they do succumb to it because you see enough people die people you love or care about and eventually you end up having to do bad things or things you don't want to do just because the necessity of, of your life Mm-hmm. You become that monster, and that's kind of what they're painting Manhattan as. And especially when they're like, "Oh, well, you gave these people cancer," and he freaks out because he's like, "I didn't know about this. What's going on?" There is still some humanity in him, but you can tell that with his interactions with Lori, that it's it doesn't make sense anymore. He's like, "Well, I was here having sex with you. Like, you were having a good time, right? Why does it matter if part of he's over here working on tachyons or whatever else he's doing?" And that humanity just fades, and there's no way you can hold on to it. I don't think anyone could because no one's meant to have the powers of a god. Um, the other question, I mean, I don't know. Now, let's better ask that question later on. I'm trying to gauge my thoughts for a long haul on this one. Uh, we'll say them so I can yell at you. You can yell at me? Why do you want to yell at me? Because <laughs> you all yelled at me. Oh. No, no, no. I, I'm sorry, buddy. I just don't want you to spoil it if we're actually reading this in sections. That's all. No, I'm, the one thing also I was just looking at as far as um, this is that although not all of them play major parts, within the first three issues, I believe every character that's going to come to play, at least major character that's going to come to play for the long haul of this has been introduced at some point in time within the first three issues, which is kind of interesting. So, like, there will be characters that play bigger parts later on, but they've all been just, I just thought found it interesting that they're all brought in, you know, from the very beginning, you know all the characters, like the planning on that's actually kind of impressive that, you know, all the characters are going to be involved there. Well, I mean, you've seen Alan Moore's script for this. I have not, no. So Maya's got it, and it's like, it's... Impressive. It's, I'll, I'll send you a picture. Yeah, basically for those who haven't seen it, he's got the big special, fancy edition, and it's Alan Moore's script, and it's like a page and a half for one panel. For one panel. Oh, jeez. Because for Alan Moore panel. is like, well, actually, the, the wizards in his beard told him to do it this way. But yeah, this is, that's how in-depth this book is. We, when we briefly touched on some things, and I'm gonna Google them, because as you get further in, like I said, there's the one issue that's 
exactly a mirror opposite of itself. So it's you can a, go through it and, yeah, so that's essentially Rorschach, which is cool. We talked yeah. about that a little bit when we did um, Death of Superman, where we talked about yeah, the panel. Yeah, yeah we, we brought that up uh, back then as well. What is also interesting, I guess, with this, talking about it, is we do have this superhero in Manhattan, and it is worth noting, we often use the word superhero interchangeably, and, like, Batman's a superhero, of course he is. But everyone else besides Manhattan are simply people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Without any kind of special powers. They are just people that decided the system wasn't working, and they were going to step in and make a difference. So, a lot of these heroes, I mean, they talk about, like, the origins of Superman's outfit comes from uh, wrestling and whatnot. (laughs) And so, you've got Hooded Justice very much so looking like a wrestler with the mask and the way things that is set up there. Side note on that, Action Comics 1000, the underwear is coming back. Underwears! Go Red Trunks. (laughs) I saw that. And you have all these characters, and what's really interesting here, and they're a team for a while, then they're not a team. There is a reference to the Keen Act, which basically makes um, dressing up as someone else and doing vigilante justice is extra illegal because apparently being a vigilante wasn't enough now you have to make it extra illegal and it caused the heroes all to retire save for dr manhattan who is a superhero and then the comedian went to go work for the government and then rorschach just kind of did with his own thing and rorschach he's the only one that's still stuck to being like a true vigilante right and he's really gone that way and he smells funny and even with um he probably doesn't bathe Probably doesn't bathe. He likes cold beans. Yeah, like cold he's, he's, he's damn near a homeless guy, really, it feels like. And I even Nothing love against homeless guys. When he shows up to the newspaper guy and he doesn't have his uh, pashmina on, he's not wearing his mask, and he's got the end is near sign, he's like, hey, you have this? And I was reading some commentary of the, of the new frontiersman is kept around. And that's Alan Moore being a little too intelligent about things because there was the New American from the John Birch Society, which is a real deal, which is super conservative. Spoilers, we don't know who Rorschach is under the mask yet. It's the same outfit. <laughs> it's, all, it's also heavily implied. Yeah. It's also heavily like, there's a moment I'm just being an asshole. Right there. There's a moment in the first like three pages when yeah. the detectives like, going leaving them to the crime scene, uh-huh. and they're talking about Rorschach, and they walk past the homeless dude who is Rorschach, and like, oh, I just got a chill down my spine. Like, and it's right. Like, so that is there. But just being an no problem. But the New American was this extreme conservative thing. While um, then he's so he's taking a play on the New Frontier and the New Frontiersmen, just kind of turning that on its head a little bit. And it's uh, another notice how the world is not. It's an alternate reality and world on how it's playing there. But it's funny and cool. And you have Ozzy Mendias, smartest man in the world, self-proclaimed smartest man in the world. No, he's not. Oh. Uh, that's what the marketing said. That's what he told Rorschach. He's like, mm-hmm. I never called myself that. That's what all the marketing and PR geniuses call me. And yet in his office, he's got a giant poster of himself <laughs> helping to end famine in India. So like maybe he's bought into it. With his own superhero figure. And oh, I'm sure he believes it. Around. He just made a point to tell... Uh, <laughs> Was it Rorschach? Yeah, it was Rorschach. Rorschach, yeah. yeah. He's like, I never called myself that. So my favorite point in that whole thing is he's in this... Who here watched Tailspin as a kid? Because I sure did. I did. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So Shere Khan's office is at the top of this towering, and it's this big, glassy room. It's basically... A, his office is a big, empty room with a monstrous desk. And it's the same thing for V. And when Rorschach is done, he kind of just jumps out the window. But you get this impression that this office is like 80 stories up off the ground. And yet he's still just hopping out the window. Because he's got the little Batman grapple thingy. And he's got the little grapple thingy. And he's just going all out for it. And I'm like, you know, props, dude. You might be nuts, but props. Way to go, Rorschach. Yeah, it's watching here. We haven't really done origin of characters much at this point. We haven't really... Well, in the issues, the yeah, issues yeah. haven't covered. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. what I'm trying to it, think. It's of. pretty much just been like the Silk Spectre and the and uh-huh. just picked up the mantle because her from her mother, him from what's his name, her mother almost got raped, and then there's a scene with her daughter and her talking about it, and her mother's like, you know, in my old age, things come in perspective. Was it really that big of a deal? While she's admiring um, a, a Tijuana Bible, a Tijuana Bible of old little por- drawn pornos of herself, and she kind of digs it while her daughter is um, aghast, morally aghast. It's like, mom, how can you like these things? Like, man, eh, people were slobbering all over me. That was nice. Well, and actually, that's that's something I wanted to bring up, especially because of what's going on now, especially with Hollywood and, mm-hmm. and with sexual assault and the whole hashtag Me Too movement. Obviously, we're not women, so we can't really weigh on this. I mean, some mm-hmm. of us 
yeah, I'll, I've been honest with you, I've been a victim of sexual assault when I was a kid. So, you know, my own personal experience is growing up and looking at what happened then and where I am now. Do I feel the same way she did? As far as like, oh, it was so long ago and this happened. I don't think I feel the same way in the sense that it was not a big deal. But I would say that it's my perspective in life is like I have grown to a point where it doesn't shape me as much as it used to. Does that make sense? Like, you know, it's yeah, it fucked me up for a long time and a lot of weird shit happened. And then there's still things that still kind of haunt me with that. But I don't look at it in the same light as like world destroying. And I don't know. If that's just, you know, my own, like, because obviously this character feels us that way. You know, she, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, it was back in the day, honey, and blah, 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 this and that. I don't really feel that way at all, but I do think that my perspective on it is different now than it was when I was, say, like 16. Sure. And I don't know if that's, and I wish I, I wish we could have a woman's point of view on this because not so much a woman who's been a victim of that because I would hope no woman was ever a victim of that. But, you know, we, we look at, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a weird conversation. I don't know what you guys, you know, come on that because I don't expect you guys to come from my point of view either. But I feel like it's a a male perspective writing it. I, I think the the whole the, the the mother is over it and like has learned to live and let live. I feel like I feel like that's a male perspective on it. I don't think that's accurate to what would actually be because it's not like it's a subtle thing. You know what I mean? It's not like it was something that was. You well, know, and they show it happen too. Like it's very very apparent what yeah. what, what, what went and, on. And, it, and it's very violent. And it's you know it's it's not like a misunderstanding. It's not like she winked at him or something like that. Like he's an asshole and he's attacking mm. and you know I mean that kind of thing. So like I part of me kind of and this is one of the few times where like the the Alan Moore that we read in Neomnomicon starts to kind of come in and I'm kind of like I can't speak for what the female perspective on it would be, but I don't. I just don't imagine someone being so loosey goosey about it. You well, know no, exactly, I mean? and that's that's what I was saying too. Was from my own experience is that it's obviously something that will stick with me forever, but it's not. <laughs> I don't dwell on it, and so. Sure. But, but this was kind of more. And he even said like, "Oh, she look what she was wearing. She was asking for which." Well, we hear it constantly nowadays. Yeah. Didn't he also kind of imply like she's like you? You know, I said I was going to change, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." You said it loud enough so everyone yeah, would know. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's kind of what we're seeing. With everything going on nowadays, it's mm-hmm. like it's like oh well, you know she was at the bar and she was drunk, or she said, or she or he, you know he, like I said, there's that happens too. Sure. Was dressed a certain way, and you know you shouldn't. It just makes me think back of a old Dave Chappelle skit back in Chappelle, on Chappelle Show, where he's like, he's like making fun, or it was a stand-up where he's like a woman was dressed kind of slutty, and he's like, just to this way, I'm not a whore. He's like, well, you're wearing a whore's outfit. I'm like, it doesn't fly though. Like it's. Maybe 15 years ago, before we were more enlightened and kind of understood what's going on, you can make a joke like that, but that doesn't really like set well with, you know, definitely with the culture of what's going on now. So, yeah, I don't know. That was that 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 uh, the first time I read this, that scene didn't stand mm-hmm. out quite as much. But again, because of the cl- the current climate, it just seems like you said very ass backwards. Very much the male writer kind of coming in and doing his own take on it, which we saw with again with Neonomicon. I just, I'm glad you brought it up, Todd, because I, I was sure. going to, and you actually did it. The moment I was about to, you started going off on it. So, All right. What's also well, interesting, though, with the follow-up with that rape is that the reason why it was an, actually an attempted rape was Hooded Justice walked in before anything really happened. And he uh, clobbers the comedian, and the comedian leaves. But even Hooded Justice then looks at her and goes, like, you need to cover yourself up. Yeah. And I can't decide if that's him passing judgment against her or it's his own little way of I'm still going to continue to treat you the same way or anything in that or, way so. or a third option is is that he is just so uncomfortable with other people that he doesn't know how to necessarily respond you know what I mean like sure. he, he, he thinks and acts with his fists so being emotionally vulnerable or respecting someone's emotional vulnerability may not be something that he's good at you know what I mean mm-hmm. that, that, that's the, uh, the third way of like also I mean it just it, this was supposed that's would have taken place in the 50s and the 60s and like having just watched all of Mad Men I sometimes get the impression that maybe that just was that that aloofness was sort of what the ideal of manliness was you know sure and, and that then telling, something he's putting on yeah that could be the case and telling her to cover up was also his own way of you have nothing to fear from me because I'm not I'm not yeah. eliminating one guy just to fill in that spot again it's mm-hmm. we have eliminated the threat to you at the time being and now cover yourself up let's and it's not move on so much but it's not i am not here for that and so mm-hmm. it's, what's so interesting is i read that same thing and saw it as victim blaming as 
It's like, you know, he's okay. like, oh, yeah, of course you came here because you know you're changing. Now, you know, for God, I think it was, I think it was for God's sake, cover yourself up. It, sure. And it was, and the way they, the, I think the reason why I would have felt differently if he would have like reached down to help her up. But, but the way it's shot is she, he's walking away and she's on the ground covered in like blood and like crying. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like he's like, oh, for God's sake, cover yourself up. Like, you know, it's, this is kind of your fault. That's that's how I, I, I saw it. Sure. But again, that's, that's what I love about this is because I never even thought of seeing it from your point of view. So. Well, there's also sort of this aspect of a woman in a man's world and how, you know, it's always been necessarily, I mean, it's, it, 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 it may have gotten a little bit better, but it hasn't always been great, you know, or it hasn't ever been great, um, you mm-hmm. know, of her, you know, basically she's, she's with a bunch of guys and he kind of was treating her the way you would t- treat another guy, you know what I mean? Like, I think if you're in this highly macho sort of environment of these people who are beating up criminals and, you know, they're using physical violence as their means of expressing themselves to a certain extent, suddenly then, you know, some, you, you protect one of your own. I don't think the immediate reaction amongst the men, like, if, if, it, if it was a guy who was, you know, protecting another guy, they wouldn't, I mean, I don't know, would it be a different aspect? Was he just treating her like he would treat another woman or they just may not know how to treat women at all, you know? But, I mean, how would he handle it if it was, like, someone he, like, his wife or his sister or, like, someone who... He had mm-hmm. that deep connection with, and maybe maybe it was the fact that you know, oh, well, we got this woman on here because she can do some cool things, but she's still technically kind of not one of us because she doesn't have a penis. Well, right. isn't there? Maybe I'm maybe I misread it, or maybe I'm thinking of a different part. Isn't there an implication that he may the guy uh, the the hooded justice might be gay in there? Uh, Rorschach no. says one, didn't he? No, Rorschach um, uh, says that he thinks Ozymandias, Ozymandias, Ozymandias might be gay. Okay, I'll get we'll into that later. I swore there was a. A mention of that somewhere, though. Well, see, like, okay, just, I'm, I'm looking at yeah. it. And this is why I'm thinking of it. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm looking at the page. It's page seven of that issue. The comedian's getting beaten up. Hooded Justice looks at. He looks at Hooded Justice and says, "This is what you like, huh? This is what gets you hot." And then you see, just the Hooded Justice, kind of like his eyes, kind of bulging out as if he had been, you know, caught mm-hmm. on to kind of thing. And so that was maybe where I, I implied, like, that he kind of maybe was a sadomastic. So, sadomasochistic maybe potentially gay in there the bondage and the ropes and all that stuff yeah that's kind of thing that was, I think was, thing was implying a little bit so and was that so offensive to his senses that like oh I can't tell you or is it that oh you're on to me yeah and running away I mean it could just be either way there <clears throat> well and Alan Moore does like including like homosexual themes in his books I mean like Fever Vendetta had the lesbian actress mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you had top ten, which was like a super uh, a future thing with superheroes, like in cops and stuff. And at the end of the very first trade, the chief of police goes home to like his boyfriend slash husband, and you have right. no clue. The whole it's like the last panel of that that first graphic novel is his walking in saying, "Hey, honey, I'm home," and you find out, oh, he's gay. Mm-hmm. So it very well could have been his way of throwing that in there because he is quite fond of adding in counterculture type aspects, including with the LGBT community, mm-hmm. uh, into, you know, dr- moving those themes into his comics. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The other thing I, uh, this is just a weird little thing. And it's the, there's two moments in the first three issues that make me just sort of break the, the plane and go, this isn't written by someone who knows what's going on here. One of which is the, the reaction to, um, the rape, the let it all be, which I felt like, okay, this, there's nothing in her character that says it should be okay with that, but that's, different issue the other one that's a weird little side note and i don't know if it bothered anybody else but the flag is folded wrong on the casket the american flag is folded wrong did that right but is else? that a, is that another aspect of first off i didn't notice it okay so i'll be honest oh, yeah. about that i noticed it Second and though, I, is it a, is it another thing of the alternate reality or could it just be that dave gibbons is british well they're both british that's kind of what i thought yeah. you know yeah but dave sure. gibbons is the one that drew it yeah, but I mean, but I guess my thing is is with how detailed the script pages are for this. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be intentional. Like, so I don't know uh-huh. what the statement is, but like the fact that it's a, I guess the only reason why it kind of sticks out on me as well is because it is a uh, government, uh, like, because I mean, part of the reason why Dr. Manhattan is there is because uh, the comedian was also part of the government you know, system and stuff like that. So it is sort of essentially like a military funeral. And so the fact that it's folded wrong bothers me. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it shows up as something of like, I don't think bothers me is the right, the right word, but it shows up as me as like, that's actually an, a mistake. You know what I mean? Or like that's written by someone who is not American, who doesn't understand that they folded into a triangle, you know? And, and it also might be the fact that, you know, my father is highly patriotic and, you know, was in the military and, you know, I was in, you know, Eagle Scouts and all that crap. So, you know, I was about to ask if you were, 
were a Boy Scout. I was, <laughs> that was the I, first question that popped in my I mind. I am an Eagle Scout, yes. By the skin of my teeth, I am an Eagle Scout. Uh, which, which should actually mean my mom is an Eagle Scout. But I'll second that for my own. <laughs> yeah. oh, and, and by the way, if you uh, if you do decide to read Top Ten, it's a kind of a weird book. But the uh, the the revelation I was telling you about at the end of the second trade, the mm-hmm. one I got from the library was both together. Oh. The original run was twelve issues, and then they kind of did spinoffs. So. Okay. So some of the things there is like under the hood is a tell-all book that was written by the original Nod Owl of the first incarnation. Yes. And this includes excerpts, and when they say excerpts, it's like two and a half pages of text, as if it's an actual book near the end of each issue. Mm-hmm. So, and it's there's no pictures. It's like, oh, this is an excerpt from the book, and you've got an excerpt from the book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting details going in there, but one of my favorite side stories. In that whole thing, though, is you've got this mechanic that had a few interesting kinks and you'd like to wear artificial breasts. He was into opera music, and there's this one scene. So he's an executive transvestite, gotcha. Right, and there's this one scene <laughs> here is, but he was happily married, well, so he thought, with his woman and whatnot, but he comes out, he discovers that his mechanic has been stooping his wife for the past year, and he is just absolutely devastated by all of this. And there's this one thing it just written so well. I just want to read this out loud because it's probably my favorite part of this whole issue. The first anyone in the workshop knew about this was when the door of Moe's office slammed open and startlingly loud and crackling rendition of Rise of the Valkyries blasted out from within. He just came. <laughs> Framed in the doorway with tears in his eyes and the crumpled letter in his hand, Moe stood dramatically with all eyes turned toward him. He was still wearing the set of artificial breasts. Almost inaudible above the rising strains of Wagner swelling behind him, he spoke with so much hurt and outrage and offended dignity, fighting for possession of his voice, that the end result was almost toneless. And he most said, Fred Motz has carnal knowledge of my wife, Beatrice, for the past two years. And then as he said this, everyone just was looking at that, thought it was so ridiculous. Everyone just laughed at him. He sent people home early, and he killed himself in the garage that night with um, carbon monoxide poisoning. And then it proceeds to go on. The new ownership comes in and rehires the guy stooping his wife and has them as the head mechanic. And it's just a little side story. I mean, it's there's humor, there's heart, there's sadness, and it's just this whole range of emotions that sometimes comics and other things just can really do so well. And his writing... And even right here is just amazing. And I absolutely love it. I'm like, oh, I get why Alan Moore can be revered. And even right there, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, the the reputation of Watchmen is not necessarily unfounded for being amazing, but he Uh sort of has tried to spend all that goodwill everywhere else. Um, He's thrown, yeah. And he's done a lot of drugs. And I do not think it's the same Alan. Yeah, that's probably also very, very true. So, speaking of lots of drugs, who's ready for a cocktail? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Behold, Mr. we finally fulfill the second half of our Mr. title Boom. and make with the fire Mr. water. Alcoholics, transform! I think we all named ours the same. <laughs> well, so I changed my name, so I'm going to start out because I finally changed my name. I'm calling now mine the Five Mile Long Island. It was a Dr. Ha- Manhattan Long Island, but, uh, you know, because of the five, five Mile Island catastrophe, it's now the Five Mile Long Island. So it is one ounce of vodka, one ounce of gin, one ounce of light rum, one ounce of gold tequila, one ounce of blue caracao, and five ounces of sour mix. So it's basically a, a Long Island with blue caracao. Fill into a glass, uh, you know... <laughs> and add the blue character at the end. Garnish with a lemon and a straw. And uh, yeah, there you go. So, Adam, since I know you had stolen my original name of the Dr. I- Doctor Manhattan drink and my cocktail that I was going to use for next week, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. What's your cocktail, sir? So, yeah, mine's just called the Dr. Manhattan. And the biggest thing with this drink is that it has to be enjoyed ice cold. So, mm-hmm. what you do is you put two glasses in uh, the freezer, fill one with ice. Uh, when they're nice and cold, take out the one with ice. Add two ounces of clove-infused gin, one ounce of dry vermouth, half ounce of St. Germain, uh, and then two ashes of bitters, and enough blue curacao to make it look a nice bright blue. What was that you just said? Curacao. Oh, that's how it's said. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
and then you uh, stir it really good for about 30 seconds, and then you strain it into the chill glass with no ice, uh, and then, yes, you must you know, enjoy it pretty quickly because uh, as it warms up, the flavor becomes meh. Mm. Ice cold, it's delicious. All right. Cool. Meh. Uh, meh. Cool. Uh, Todd, what's your cocktail? Well, mine might be on a similar theme. I, I know but mine's the black and blue Manhattan. But it is of a different makeup. I will give it that. <laughs> Makes me moist. <laughs> I was showing a picture. <laughs> All right. The ingredients of this has four ounces of bourbon, a tablespoon of blueberry shrub. So that's a cup of blueberries and a half cup of salmic vinegar and a half cup of sugar. What you do is you put that all together and you mash the shit out of it and it's called a shove. Three to four shakes of bitters and a splash of vermouth. So you take the blueberry shrub and you put that together and this takes a few days, but you add the blueberries, balsamic vinegar to container and place it in fridge. And after a few days, you strain the liquid through the mesh sieve into a small saucepan. You bring it to a boil, add sugar to dissolve it, reduce heat and simmer five minutes or until thickened. Kids, it takes three days for you to actually make this drink. I don't have drink. the patience to drink your drink. So, three days <laughs> to make this drink. There is no like, hmm, I think I'm going to have a black and blue Manhattan tonight. Three days from now. Three days yeah. from now. Thank you. It's I want one on Saturday. It's Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you add all the ingredients to a shaker with ice. You um, stir with a stirring spoon. Dump it into a rocks glass. Service with uh, blueberry garnish. Awesome, and last look but not at, least, look at you, you fancy fucker. I know. Well, I know. when you are Doctor Manhattan, and time doesn't have quite the same meaning anymore. So, what's three days? So my drink is not Doctor Manhattan themed. What? How dare you? I found one called uh, because we get our get first, in line. <laughs> we find our first uh, get our first little glimpse into the little side comic book that goes on in this. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine's called the Black Freighter. It's Two ounces of Gosling's Black Seal Dark Rum, three quarters of an ounce of a Grand, is it Marnier? Marnier, mm-hmm. yeah. And a half ounce of Hiram Walker Creme de C- Cassel Dark. Combine it over ice and stir. That's a dark and stormy. And uh, where I found this, it said uh, it had an extra note that said, "Too many of these, and your might end up in your night might end up on the cutting room floor of your memory, just like the black freighter scenes that were cut from the movie." Oh. oh. Yeah, I'm. I am kind of curious about that. Actually, I was. Yeah, I, for some reason, I thought it was interesting. I going back on that just a little bit. That mm-hmm. little sort of that scene between the uh, the guy who owns the uh, newspaper stand and the kid reading the comic. Like it. Like it's only like one issue before he kind of like you, you get the good. You know, oh, he's not such a bad guy kind of thing. Right. You know, like I always kind of thought that, that for some reason in my memory it ran through the entire book, but uh, apparently I was wrong. Yeah, because what's interesting it's with Watchmen. You have there's about three stories going on here because mm-hmm. you have the Watchmen of the comedians dying, Rorschach's figuring out what's going on. You've got the under the hood excerpts that are sprinkled throughout, mm-hmm. and then you ha- also have with the third issue the introduction of the Black Freighter, which is a pirate style and, theme thing going on. And apparently, uh, Alan Moore has said that the Black Freighter is kind of like an analogy of Ozymandias' story within Watchmen. So that's kind of the significance of... Right, so they are three independent stories, and yet they all tie together, and they're unified by themes and other bits that inform upon the main story itself. So with... Um, having such indirect narratives coming into play and changing up the style. Cause even as you're reading the black freighter and whatnot, we haven't really talked about Dave Gibbons and his art style and what oh he's done God. here yet. His art is so goddamn beautiful. It is so good here. And how much it changes when you're reading black freighter versus the main story. Um, it changes versus There's... even the photographs in the under mm-hmm. the hood and under the hood. He um, does a great job there. The copy I've got is actually in black and white hipster. It is. I've got both. You know, I was cool before people liked it. Not really. But you it's... You were cool? Never. <laughs> well, you're a little cunt. <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> see you next Tuesday. Well, yeah. And I see you next time works, too. I know. It works. I, I've always said see you next Tuesday, but... Or see, yeah, see you next Tuesday. But I'm not a little one. I'm a g- big, giant, gaping one. Ew. That is what we call a hatchet wound. <laughs> oh... <laughs> It's, yeah, I've lost my train of thought. Thanks, guys. <laughs> burn. Oh, art. Gibbons yeah. art. The level of detail <laughs> is fantastic and amazing. Even the iconic little smiley face with the drip of blood coming down 
it holds up. I mean, oftentimes when you go and look at comics through the decades, you can say, oh, in the 90s, there was bulging muscles with things attached to bulging muscles. Mm-hmm. And in the 80s, there was its own style, and you have the Golden Age and Silver Age. But even now, you look at this, it's definitely from the 80s, and yet, even compared to V for Vendetta, the other one, the level of detail in the work here is fantastic and it's still beautiful and enriching to watch and it's mm-hmm. great i don't i haven't read much else from gibbons i've got um the originals which he did as well and that's a different thing as well but it's cool go dave gibbons well we're kind of at a nice interesting stopping point here do we want to do raids or do we want to wait till the end to do grades i think we should wait till the end because yeah. this yeah. is the same way. because right. this is you know we we've we found we really actually dissected it a lot further than I thought we we're going to. And, uh-huh. and, and really, like the writing and the art isn't going to change much from these three yeah. issues to the right. So it would be the same. Yeah. So we can we can give a final overall grade, but okay. I, I think we're all you know unanimous saying that this is something you should read. Mm-hmm. Just take your time. Don't tear yeah. through it. Uh, and especially if you're playing the drinking games, break it up. Oh, yes. Maybe read it once. is actually not bad. I'm kind of happy that we just settled on that. Maybe Uh read it once and then play, read it a second time with the drinking games. Right. Maybe. Yeah, but, you know, you may want to separate those out by a bit. I don't know if I can read this book all in one night. (laughs) Well, I haven't, I mean, the the last time I read the book was before, because when the movie came out, they re-released a a new, well, not released, but they put the trade out again to, Uh everywhere, like Target had it. Yeah. That's actually when they put this movie out, too. So that was when I picked it up, because I was like, you know, I've always wanted to read this. I've been in the comics for a while now. It's high time I actually picked this up and go through it. And I think I read it in a day or two. I didn't, I definitely didn't tear through it. I just was... Because I, I again, I went in completely blind too. Like I had no idea what it was about or what was going on. Just we all heard the saying, you know, who watches the Watchmen? But that was mm-hmm. about it. So well, not uh, older was... than that too. Who watches the Watchmen is actually uh, from a Greek like satirist is actually mm-hmm. where that phrase comes okay. from. But it was just it was. I can't believe I know that shit. Holy crap! <laughs> Way to go! <laughs> so it was uh, it was definitely at that point in time one of the most unique things I'd ever read and. Mm-hmm. But it's also one that I hadn't gone back and revisited in, God, like over ten years now, somewhere yeah. on there. Yeah, sure. And it's um, it's published by like the DC Direct Imprint. There's no off imprint. It's straight up DC published yeah. book. But until this year, it didn't really seem to be connected to the DC universe. And it never really was. I mean, we could talk about how DC put in their contract with Alan Moore. You know, as long as, you know, if we ever stop printing the essentially if we ever stop printing this, all the rights to the characters revert to you, and then... DC has it, never it, stopped printing this. Because it ended up being a bigger hit than they ever thought it would be, so mm-hmm. it's always been in print. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, it's kind of a hot topic uh, about whether or not they should include them in the DC universe. I'm kind of just like... Hey, if you got a cool story to tell, I don't care. Um, yeah. And uh, three issues in, and I'm really enjoying uh, the Doomsday Clock. And how long is the Doomsday Clock supposed to run? It's going to be 12 issues. Uh, take two is- years. Issue four comes out next month, and then after that, it's going bi-monthly. So every other month. Okay. Interesting. So for the what trade waiters out here, is it's going to be 2020 before we start to read it. First, speaking of trade waiting... Uh, <laughs> I would recommend picking up the issues or getting it digitally. That's a good point. Yeah, we're, we're only three issues yeah. in, so it's not much to pick up yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm looking to see if before Watchmen's in trade, just because I'm. Curious. It is. Yes. It's in four trades. Oh, gotcha. So they do. Okay. So they do Night Owl and Doctor Manhattan. They do Minutemen and Silk Spectre. They do Comedian and Rorschach. And then Ozymandias and Black Raider. Uh, oh, they're calling it Crimson Corsair. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, cool. Does anybody have any recommendations that they would like to make this week? And now it's time for recommendations. That time in the show where the panel tells you all the crap they are currently into, but will forget about as soon as they see something shiny. You're a stamp tramp. How dare you? And what is that? You give your stamp of approval to everything. It's become meaningless. Why can't you be more like your wife? Lily's stamp is gold. I'm reading this book because of her... I'm drinking this beer because she recommended it. I'm even wearing this bra because of a lingerie store Lily told me about. I'll jump in first since we were talking about it. Uh, I kind of already gave my spiel, but I recommend Doomsday Clock by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. It's been a lot of fun, especially uh, 
in this last little bit where we finally got an interaction between Rorschach and Batman. I've got one, um, my wife, Amy, so thank you for this one, dear. I do give you credit. <laughs> it's um, recently on um, Radio West is um, Doug Fabrizio just did a whole story on um, Rorschach tests and the validity of them, how it's held up, and it's held up surprisingly well, but you have one of these characters of named Rorschach, and it's uh, his ma- face mask is an ever-changing Rorschach look. It's a really mm-hmm. cool design. So, but if you want to hear about, like, they were like, what is this Rorschach test? What's really it up to in the history and all of that is there's an episode on Radio West discussing all of that. I hear it's worth checking out. Well, Adam, you have anything to recommend? Um, actually, right now, no, I'm just trying to still catch up on Sundance and trying not to work as much as I am. So, I'm just glad you're here. Yay. Yes, we missed you. And I'm looking around my room. I've been working so much. I haven't, my, my TV red pile's kind of swelled up again, and I haven't had a chance to read a whole lot. Uh, but I'm off tomorrow, as far as I know. So I will, oh, except for it's NAM, so I'm going to go to do a bunch of that crap. So. As of tomorrow, I might have something interesting. I might see something cool in NAM. For those of you who don't know, NAM is a National Association of Music Makers. It's a big convention for people who are in the sound industry and who are in the music industry. It's where like a lot of up-and-coming artists come in to try to get um, sponsorship deals with you know musical instrument companies and whatnot. You also have a lot of musical com- interest musical instrument companies who uh, bring in big celebrities for either um, like concerts or to sign autographs. So like if you're into that kind of thing, you can do that. I remember I was walking by one booth and all of a sudden there's this crazy long line and I, it was in the middle of this convention center, but corn was signing autographs. It was very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a funny, I was talking to a, a guy when I was up at Beetle House who has worked there a couple times and he was helping a friend of his with a uh, synthesizer company where they make little keyboards and things like that. And he was playing with it and all of a sudden he looks over his shoulder and there's this tall, bald, white guy looking over his shoulder and he... <laughs> no, it was Billy Corgan from the Smashing oh, Pumpkins. No. <laughs> so, um, so he shakes his hand goes, hi, I'm Billy. And he goes, oh, hi, Billy. He goes, so what can you tell me about this? Because oh, he was like Billy. helping him show him up. So he kind of had to sit there and go, okay, Billy, well, this is what it is. So... Anyway, so I I might go see something cool for that. Awesome. But, so I don't have anything right now because I've just I, as I said earlier, I got some cool stuff going on, but it has made me very busy and I have not had nearly enough time to keep up on my reading. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but it's okay. We'll just take care um, of your swelling tomorrow. Of my swelling? You said you've had a swelling of books to read. I had a swelling of books to read. He has swelling. Thank you. That's, oh, that's only for you. <laughs> no comment at all. Oh, well, actually, here, yeah. yeah. Hey, Mr. Pork, what do you have to find? Do you have some final thoughts? Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Words to live by. It is, absolutely. Awesome, Mr. Rogers. Yep. yep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mr. Pork, and thank you all. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater, and on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information, as well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, support your local comic shop. Tip your bartender well. And stay hydrated.